Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. With the novel coronavirus pandemic escalating in the U.S., Roe, the parent company of Roman, is offering free telehealth services for people seeking guidance and information on COVID-19. Their free online assessment is based on guidelines from the CDC and the World Health Organization and can help determine if you are at risk. If appropriate, Roe will connect you with a medical provider for a free consultation. Visit roco slash coronavirus on your phone or laptop to complete a free online assessment. That's roco slash coronavirus. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Alley, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Alley, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. Now, on to my episode. With Bruce Wedeen. We knew, I think, uh, that Quincy and I knew pretty much from this start what we that we had had a tiger by the tail and uh that's all that's about all you can say about it it it's uh, it was uh, a very unusual situation yeah yeah check it out i'm your host corby cambridge uh yeah Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast. A podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. This week's Silent Giant is the five-time Grammy Award winner who assisted in recording, mixing, and producing Michael Jackson's thriller album, Engineer Bruce Wedeen. Bruce is recorded for some of the greatest artists of all time, like Quincy Jones, Natalie Cole, Duke Ellington, Benny Goodman, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, and countless others. You seriously have to read this man's Wikipedia page to understand what he's contributed to American popular music. To put it simply, Bruce is regarded as the greatest recording engineer of all time. In this interview, I flew down to his Florida home to chat about his upbringing in Minnesota, how he got into engineering, connecting with Quincy Jones, the makings of Michael Jackson's thriller, and a whole lot more. Meeting Bruce was one of the greatest experiences of my life, and I really hope that you all enjoy this interview. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the five-time Grammy Award-winning engineer, the king of sound, my dear friend, the silent giant, Bruce Wedeen. Do you know what Michael's nickname was? 
I do know. You do? Mm-hmm. What? Smelly. Yeah. You know how he got that? Quincy. Yeah. Quincy does. Quincy speaks his own language. He doesn't speak like anyone else you've ever met. He's just, oh, man. Makes me cry when I think about it. Because Quincy, is, uh, he's also a year older than me. He was born March 13th, 1933. And uh, Quincy is probably as close to a true genius as any of us will ever meet. He's just phenomenal, man. Uh, uh, you want a, sto- a little story? Yeah, absolutely. I love okay. a story. We were Quincy and I were staying at the uh, Westbury Hotel in New York, in New York. You know, it's gone now. I think. Uh, anyway, uh, we were getting ready to record uh, the overture for the Wiz, the which is the urban version of the Wizard of Oz, Diana Ross. Nipsey Russell. You ever heard of Nipsey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that he wrote poetry? I did not know that. Yeah. And real good stuff. Just phenomenal poetry. And, and uh, uh, but okay, let's not get off Quincy. So we're, we're set to do the overture for The Wiz. On a Thursday morning, I think, at the Hit Factory in New York, which is gone now. And and uh, but any anyway, so I went to bed. Quincy said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna stay up all night and work on the orchestration orchestration for the Wiz the movie." And so he did. I looked at the light under the door every few hours and lights were on. There was not one musical instrument in the room. Not not a piano, nothing. Quincy wrote the orchestration for 80 musicians. We went also, did you know Quincy doesn't drive? I don't know that either. You know why? Why? The stoplights don't come on downbeats. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he's got the orchestration done for 80 musicians. And we leave and go to the hit factory, and we have a copyist there. They copy all the parts. Pass them out. Not, not one wrong note. Incredible. And the nicest man you could ever meet in your life. I mean, he uh, set it up so that I would be paid royalties. He he believed in what I did because I can do pretty well with recording and. Uh, he set it up with Sony Music, which, by the way, is not a bunch of very nice people. I don't think many Japanese people run that company. 
But we got to the studio, 80 musicians, not one note out of place. I don't know of any one in history that could do that. It gives me the chills. It's remarkable. Yeah. So I want to start uh, with the with the story of your life. So, you know, where are you from uh, originally? Oh, sure. Well, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, was born in 1934. Minneapolis is a Truly Scandinavian town. You, you'd better speak a little Swedish to Ufja. be happy in Minneapolis. And and uh, uh, incidentally, there's a black guy by the name of Rasmussen. You ever heard of him? No. He's from Stockholm, and he can cook. Put you away. Just what's what's his name? Rasmussen. I'm going to July 4th. Yeah. Ain't too many brothers out there, so I know I'll find them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah. It, it, it won't be hard to find them. No. What, what's his name? One more time. Ras? Rasmussen. Rasmussen. Yeah. R-A-M-U-S-S-E-N. I think they were mistaking me for him when I was out there. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Can you cook? I'm all right. What do you cook? Um, You know... <laughs> I don't really have a specialty. No. Uh, but I'm, are you a good cook? No. Okay, at least you're honest. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna uh, just say no too. Uh, now that now that we're friends, I can just be honest. Yeah, now I'm a terrible you cook. You have to be. Okay. <laughs> My folks would have beat me up if I ever lied. So. And so, what was your what was your earliest memory with music? As a child, hearing my mother and dad. They used to play duets, and my mother would sit, could sit and play just tune after tune after tune from memory. She was really quite good at piano. And so you, you, I can play a little light boogie woogie, but that's about it. My dad designed an, an electronic organ named the Master Touch, and that uh, was uh, hugely unsuccessful. And uh, so that I may still have some parts for them around here, but they were oh, they were such wonderful people. How did you know that you wanted to become an engineer? How did that happen? Did you want to be an artist first? No, I knew that I didn't have the ability to play piano. I. I was a disc jockey and radio announcer in Wisconsin. And uh, that radio station had a chance to go out and record bands. and But, of course, they, they wouldn't be the, you know, very good. But uh, you ever heard of Heath Kits? No. Oh, man. There was a company called Heath. You've heard of them. And, and it was Kits, and, and you'd get a whole bunch of things in a box and you put it together and, and and you could some of them had speakers some of them only had earphones like so how did you go from wanting to build radios to uh, becoming an engineer how that how that opportunity present itself for you 
Well, I guess I just wanted to do it. All predicated on music. And my mom and dad were really sweet people. Just music. So nice. They said, whatever you want to do, you do it. And so, what was the uh, the first um, studio session? Like, where did you learn to engineer? Boy, I think I just messed around. I uh, uh, I loved the sound of of music and what it does to you emotionally. It can affect you like the greatest drug in life. Music and and uh, I find popular music to be American popular music to be about the best. Though the Beatles aren't too bad, they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so how? Did, uh, what was your first uh, engineering job? Like, how did you get your start? It was at a radio station in Minneapolis, KTIS, which was a religious radio station and it was uh, sort of a mundane job because the prime interest was not in recording and I really knew that I had something to say about recording music and uh, so I you know wanted to do something in that field. And so uh, what was your next move after leaving the radio station? Oh, boy. Well, I think that what we did was we built Swedeen Recording Studio in Minneapolis. When did you decide to leave Minneapolis? Must have been 1956. Uh, You ever heard of Bill Putnam? Yeah. Well... My mom and dad went to Chicago, and I don't know how they heard about him, but of course I'd been talking about Bill Putnam this and Bill Putnam that, and so they went and they met Bill. And Bill said, uh, actually his name was Milton, Milton T. Putnam, but he shortened that to Bill. and. Uh, it was uh, through him that I really got my start and started right out recording uh, Count Basie. And so your your parents uh, built a relationship with Bill and yes. and yeah, brought and, you up. Yeah, and hooked me up with Bill, and I uh, I think the address of that studio was forty six East Walton. In in Chicago, on the near north. And what was that feeling like? Um, like knowing that you you were going to get a big opportunity in Chicago. Were you nervous to leave Minneapolis? I was anxious. That's that'd be the best word I could think of. That, but I did know that uh, I wanted to, wanted to do something. In music recording, and that was all that mattered. Do you remember the first time uh, speaking to Bill? Oh, boy. The first time uh, him giving you the opportunity? What a great question. No, I I can't. 
At this age, you'll find that your memory slips. And so when you were in, um, I want to take it back to you being in, in Chicago. So what was it like having that first job? And you, your first uh, oh, your first I project was, was Cow Basie? was a pig in the mud. It, it's just, uh, can't tell you how wonderful it was. First of all, this studio, all the big entertainers of that time came to record at Universal. I think because of Bill Putnam's. Um, and Bill, rep, Bill was reputation. the Bill was the head of Universal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, what was that feeling like? Uh, you said your first recording was Count Basie, which is a legend. It's going. Oh man, oh, man! <laughs> I was scared. I was happy. I was uh, terrified, but so thrilled, and I was determined to make the best sounding recording that I possibly could. Do you remember uh, who was in the session with you? Uh, Ray Brown played bass. Ed Thigpen played drums. Bill Basie played piano, of course, from Kansas City. Oh, he was the kindest, sweetest, just incredible man really really polite well dressed that was the era when the bands when they came to the studio they were really dressed and uh duke ellington was the guy that had the clothes though and here's another interesting thing about duke ellington he never came out before dark. His day started at at sunset. Wow. He hated the dark, uh, the light. I'm like that too sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, uh, it's kind of interesting. And so you, uh, you're in this session. Uh, well, where did you meet Quincy in, in the sequence of your life? Was it around the well, time I in Chicago? I met Quincy in Chicago, and I knew right away. Quincy always wore a great hat. You know, he'd have a, a fedora or a wonderful hat. Plus, he was the handsomest guy you could ever come across. Just ridiculous. And what, what was the first, do you remember the first time meeting Quincy? I don't remember exactly where, but it was at Universal in Chicago. Yeah. And so how'd that relationship, that friendship um, oh, we start? Knew, we knew right away that we should make music together. And it, Quincy doesn't speak English. He's not an ordinary guy. So during this period of you and Quincy in Chicago, is there a, uh, uh, what was the next uh, project you guys worked on? We, uh, a movie called The Pawnbroker. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, I never heard The Pawnbroker. L- look it up on the internet. And uh, was this... Uh, Quince, Quincy wanted so much to score films. 
he didn't he loved records but he i remember him telling me that Sven, my nickname is svensk which means swedish man in swedish quincy speaks 14 languages and he has a pretty good knowledge of Swedish. And uh, he's recorded, you ever heard of Peggy Lee? Is Peggy Swedish as well? Who? It was, was his, his wife Peggy, was she oh, Swedish Peggy as well? Peggy Lipton, yeah. She's Swedish as well? No. Okay. Beautiful gal. Just gorgeous. And she did, uh, oh man. Sorry, I don't remember, but she, she did Mod Squad. Okay. Yeah. Mod Squad. Peggy Lipton. And so you, you and Quincy worked on, on the movie together. Yeah. And do um, you remember like what year roundabout this was? Uh, probably in the 50s. So you guys have been working together. This is 1950s now. Yeah. What year were you born? <laughs> what year were you born? Uh, 1987. Oh, Hey, bad bad came out that year. It was a great year. You know about yeah. bad, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great, great year. The the piece of music though that set Michael apart or all of us apart probably is Thriller though. Oh, amazing album, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah, but Thriller, the piece of music itself. There's so much. In that thing, it was that was written by Rod Temperton, the, uh, the mysterious man. Yeah. Oh. And so I, I want I want to get back to the feeling of you and Quincy working together in the fifties because at this point you're probably twenty two, twenty three years old. Yeah. Every, every day I'd get up, couldn't wait to get to the studio, uh, and uh, Chicago was a great city for music at that time. Because on the south side, there were a lot of good clubs where you could go. I'll tell you who I recorded there you may know is Keely Smith. You ever heard of her? No. Louis Prima? No. I've got you under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me. So deep in my heart, you're really a part of me. Look them up. Teach me. Teach me. Louis Prima and Keely Smith. I've got you under my skin. I think Louis is probably gone, but Keely is still around. But that girl could sing. And you recorded that session? Yes, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. What, what was that session like? Do you remember? Oh, just we big orchestras. And and Chicago has wonderful musicians, so it wasn't easy. I mean, it wasn't difficult to put together a really great recording orchestra. And so, oh, uh, know, a lot of people. How how did you uh, make the move out of Chicago? Out of Chicago? Yeah. When when did that happen? Where you were working from? Oh, Minnesota to Chicago. Exactly the year, but B should be here. She, she's her memory is great. She, because she's been at all these sessions. I, 
for some reason, I knew that it was going to be important to have to include B in all the stuff that I've done. So I, she's every session that I've done, she was there. Wow. Yeah. She she get points too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> big time. <laughs> and so, so uh, uh, just, just look at her. There you go. <laughs> Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. There we yeah. go. Oh, I love Grace Kelly, man. Uh, she became Princess of Monaco, right? Huh? She became Princess of Monaco. Grace, Grace Kelly. She married a prince. Yeah. 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 Well, I thought you were talking about Prince. You know. Oh no. <laughs> he's he's from Minneapolis. Right. right yeah. <laughs> and so. Uh, and, and he's gone now too. He's gone now too. Oh man. Not of the greats. His, you know what his last name is. Nelson. Ah, I, I was going to get it. Yeah. I was going to get it. Yeah. yeah. What a guy. Oh, man. And, uh, have you met Prince? Yeah. What was it like we meeting? We went to his studio. Quincy and I did. NB. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Paisley Park. Paisley Park. Yeah. What was that like? Beautiful big studio. Beautiful. Gorgeous. Prince was funny, though. He wanted to do everything himself. He wanted to write, record, mix, do all of it himself. Uh, why were you there with Quincy paying him a visit? Uh, he was doing something up in Minneapolis. I don't remember now exactly what it was. And so I want to touch on um, what was your first memory of hearing about Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5? On, on the radio in Chicago, uh, used to have great radio stations in Chicago, and I think Michael's career started when he was just an infant. You know, he started singing when he was twelve or something. So just un. Unbelievable young man. Just And were, were you a big fan of the Jackson Five? Oh, aren't you? There we go. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. And and so um you met Michael on the set of the Wiz in 1978, I believe. Yeah. 77, 78. Yeah. Uh, what was it like meeting Michael for the first time? Oh boy. I knew first of all, Michael's a Jehovah's Witness. Witness. And I knew, he, you know, he was very fussy about, about his appearance, always dressed to the nines. He just, his, Michael, this may not be common knowledge, Michael's favorite color was red, which kind of indicates something about his personality. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah. And it's true. Because you recorded the, the Wiz soundtrack. Yeah. After a while, all these cities get kind of mixed up together. And all I remember is being in the studio happy. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, what was the beginning process of working on, on Off the Wall? Like, what was that, uh, that process like? Were you called from Michael or Quincy to be a part of the project? Let's see. 
Michael's manager at the time was Freddie DeMann. And I think they made the call to get me involved with Quincy okay. and Michael. But Michael, I wish, I wish we could have Michael here now. You would be just amazed how ordinary, polite, well-dressed, just incredible guy. I'd, I think Michael and Quincy, I truly love both of those guys. And that's a lot to say. Of course, I'm an only child. I never had a brother or sister. Well, so. I, well I think, too, music is one of those things. I've, I forgot the quote you mentioned earlier, but it's something that we all kind of relate to. Um, especially when you're you're making music. You're, so you're essentially in a band with Michael yeah. and, and Quincy yeah. and, and Rod Temperton. Yeah. Um, well, well, describe the feeling of the makings of Off the Wall. Where was Michael in his life? in the process of making that album? Did he feel like an industry veteran? Did he feel like a, like at that point he was maybe 19 years old? I, yeah, I don't recall except that Michael was so powerful in a kind way. Have you heard his re the recording we did of Have You Seen My Childhood? Yeah. Oh, if you can listen to that in the dark, without crying, I'll give you 10 bucks. It's just, because he had no childhood. And his father was so awful, terrible guy. And did, did and, you feel like, um, like during the period of, of Off the Wall, was he at a happy place musically in his career? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, uh, I don't know, I hate to keep using unique, but he was definitely different. And so when, um, after the success of Off the Wall, I think Off the Wall came out in 79. Yeah. Um, Boy, you know your Michael history. A, a little bit. You know, I do my homework before I come see you. Yeah, I yeah, can tell. I, I read a book or two. But, um, you know, Off the Wall came out in 79, and it, it got a lot of acclaim. Um, but it was seen as like a black album, um, an R&B album. And I know that Michael really wanted to uh, push the envelope and cross over into a, a bigger pop audience. Yeah, it wasn't, to, in Michael's mind, though, or Quincy, it wasn't black or white. It was just... They wanted us to make the best music that we possibly could at that time. And that's, if you look back, that's kind of what we did. I, I think, I think y'all did all right. Yeah. Not, not too bad. Yeah. And so when, when you get to the makings of Thriller, you're coming off the success of Off the Wall, which was in 79, but now you fast forward, it's 1982, so three years has passed. And also the sound of music had passed because disco, right. uh, uh, Off the Wall was a very disco-influenced album. Right. Um, what was the conversation like uh, as far as getting the, the beginnings process of the makings of Thriller? Was there a meeting that Quincy had with Michael and what was said in that meeting to start? If, if, they, if there was a meeting, I don't remember it, but 
that doesn't mean that there wasn't. Uh, Michael was just so easy to work with. There was, I mean, it was, I could, each, each day would begin with me going to the studio and just couldn't wait to get to work. I mean, that, that was definitely the best thing that happened. Is Next it, to meeting B. I want to get into um, into the Thriller album. Do you have any stories about any of the sessions and what songs like stand out to you as far as like funny memories? Well, there's only Thriller, of course. Uh, or like I say, a song like Billie Jean, for example. Uh, what was that session like? Oh, we uh, I can tell you. You know what our nickname for Billie Jean was? No. Jelly Bean. What, what was the story behind Billie Jean? A young lady came into Michael's place at the time he and his parents were living on Havenhurst in L.A. And she climbed over the wall and sat by the swimming pool. And she was going to stay there for the rest of the day. And her name was Billie Jean. There was one gal at one time that had twins and accused Michael of being the father of one of the twins. Prince. Isn't that some? <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, and so, uh, uh, what was it like working with Rod Temperton? What was oh, Rod Temperton like man. in the studio? It was. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just great. First of all, he was obsessed with TV dinners. We had to, and, and he couldn't drive a car either. It's like a common thread amongst the, the Michael and camp. They, Nobody they drives. They don't drive. <laughs> Michael wouldn't drive. No, he did. Michael had a big blue Rolls Royce. Quincy absolutely won't drive. And Rod, oh boy, we should do a chapter on Rod. Yeah, what, what what was Rod Temperton like in the studio? What was he like? Oh, just incredible. Very, very English. His 
speech was very proper and, you know, not like we're used to talking with musicians, you know. Because Rod, Rod got his start uh, uh, with the disco group. Um, uh, Heat Wave. Heat Wave. Yeah. Heat Wave. How were songs like uh, like Thriller, how were they presented in the studio? If I'm not mistaken, it was Starlight at first. It was called, boy, you know. Yes, it was called Starlight. Starlight. And, and thriller. Yeah, how did how did it become uh Well thriller? Quincy said Starlight. Who Quincy's said who's gonna remember Starlight? That's Quincy said that's nothing. We need something better. So he had actually he sent Rod away. Yeah, Rod wouldn't drive. And then uh, Rod came up with the lyric for Thriller in a taxi cab on the way to Westlake Studio. In a taxi cab. Now, the, while you're recording uh, the song Thriller, there, there's sometimes in, in, in your life where you don't know you're doing something monumental because right. you're just kind of doing it. Right. Did you know at this time, like... No, no. Like, damn. No, yeah. <laughs> so so you didn't know at the time that you were making something that big? No, no. You can't know. Quincy has such a great way of putting at it. He says, if you find someone that's working on a song like that and says this is going to be a huge hit, he's a liar because you can't know. You cannot know. And so let's say for it's like a, a song like Human Nature, which is, by the way, my, one of my oh, favorite songs. Steve Bacaro. What was it like working with, uh, with Toto? Because Toto had a big part of the making of the yeah, Thriller album. That's right. Um, well, Marty Page uh, was... Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Steve Bacaro actually wrote that song that is probably my favorite song of all time um human nature do you know the story behind john bettis yeah well i know well i do but i can't remember well i know that uh he he was uh there was a cassette tape that right. steve picaro had um and, he, and quincy had requested some and he turned the thing over and there was this other song like a snippet it was yeah. like a snippet like a 20 second snippet right um, uh, of of that record, were, were were you there in the studio? Because that was that was the last song on the album, correct? Yes. Uh, there was a song called Carousel. Carousel, right? Boy, that's a great song. It's a great song. It's um Michael Sabello. Yes, the same guy who did Maniac. Yep. Um, Maniac, Maniac. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was the tug of war between? Why was Carousel kicked off of the album? I don't know if you could say it was kicked off, but it was removed Quincy decided that we were going to have eight songs on the album 
Or maybe Quincy and I had decided it because you know, that was the days of vinyl. It was before CDs and the quality was, if you had too much length and too much volume level, the sound quality would be, would deteriorate because you can't put that level on without the record skipping. And uh, also I found out, you ever heard of Bernie Grunman? No, who's that? He's a mastering engineer who, in L.A. who mastered all that stuff. Very soft-spoken, quiet Scandinavian guy from... Uh, and he's got uh, Bernie Grunman mastering in Los Angeles, and that is where all the best records are done. All the best records. And so from from off the wall, um, Michael and off the wall to Michael at Thriller, what was the the difference? Like well, the they, difference within with, him? With Michael working with Michael, there is no difference in in that you you work on it the best that you can and and work on it very very hard until it's right. That's the only priority, is is it right? And so uh, for um, for The Girl Is Mine, um, which is an amazing record, Yeah. Uh, what was that session like with Paul McCartney? What was the chemistry oh, like between was, Paul and Michael? It was great. Michael had a little trouble with the lyric. He kept singing, The Girl Is Mine's. He put an S on Mine's. And Quincy got pissed and told him, Michael, it's the girl is mine. Michael said, yeah, the girl is mine's. <laughs> and, and no, but I think Michael had learned some bad speaking from Joe. And uh, Joe was a rough guy. Yeah, was Joe around often during the thriller sessions? At first he was, but pretty soon uh, we he, we didn't allow him in anymore. Or Quincy didn't. And when Quincy says you're you're not coming to the sessions anymore, you don't come. There's there's no arbitration with Quincy. He's. Cause I, I remember asking this question to you over the phone, but in, in a in a in an industry that is, um, you know full of opinions, right? Because you're the Michael Jackson of your field and Quincy's the Michael Jackson of his field and Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson of his field. Like everyone's on a Michael Jackson Jordan level uh, of talent. Um, if there was ever a disagreement about a mix or about a lyric, uh, who had the final say-so as far as like, this is what we're going to go with? Quincy. Quincy. Always, yeah. And was, and was that kind of understood amongst everyone on the team? Like Quincy... He has to go ahead, always. I, I wish Quincy could be here right now. You would see a guy that is really very, very special. To not just Michael's music, but to the entire industry. I want to touch on Beat It. Because uh, no. you were saying, uh, Eddie Van Halen was, uh, was called in. Yeah. 
uh, to, to lay down he the... He played so loud, and his hearing was so bad. I, Quincy and I had to leave the control room. We couldn't be in the control room, so we... And Eddie Van Halen's hearing was already ruined. So we hired Don Landy, Eddie's engineer, to come in and record that, and then I mixed it after those guys had gone home. Now, did, did Michael often write these songs in the studio? or Oh, did... absolutely. A- any place, any time, anything. There are no rules with someone of Michael's quality. There are no rules. You hear what I say? I mean, there are no rules. What is your favorite song off the Thriller album? Thriller. Why is that? Well, because it it you can close your eyes when you listen to Thriller and you get this whole magic mental image. And uh, it's incredible. You know what it is? I think what's an interesting point... Um, you were mentioning that uh, sound sound is your second sense. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting that with the quote you gave earlier in the interview, that Thriller is your favorite song because it's the most visual song. Right. It's a song that you it, can close it, your it, eyes. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Wow. Very very true. Yeah, you can close your eyes and take a whole trip without drugs. <laughs> without drugs. It's very, very true. It's very true. It's yeah. it's definitely something you can close your eyes and you imagine the scene. Yeah. And so, let's say the, the Thriller album is done. Uh, what was the last session like? Do you remember the last session of being like, guys, I I think we're done? Yeah. Uh, what was the mood like in the room? Was everyone excited? Were, were you nervous? Oh, n- nervous. Because uh, I think we all knew that we had something really different. We had a a giant by the tail. So, so at that point, at the end of at the end of the making of Thriller, you knew. Yes. Wow. Yeah, we didn't know what we had, but we knew we had something pretty unusual. And so, for for the last session, who's in the room? Is it you, me, Quincy, Michael, Michael's manager? who at the time was Frank DeLeo. There's a guy we should talk about. Frank. Frank's like, he has like that, like, mob boss. Yeah. Type five. (laughs) He he played that part in a movie. Right, he played in uh, uh, Ghost? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Michael loved that. Michael looked for anything unique or unusual about a person or a situation and then... That was what he enjoyed. And so uh, the, the final session's done. And what, what do you say to everybody? When, like, what's the vibe like as we all, everyone says goodbye, see you later? Or like, what's, well, that, what's that room like well, or the conversation like? Uh, no, the vibe is nobody wants to leave. We're having so much fun. And we're all having such a great time. Nobody wants to leave. We'd still be recording Thriller if it was up to me and Michael and Quincy. Yeah. 
I believe the release date was in October of 82. Yeah. Um, release day of Thriller. What is the vibe like? Uh, when did you realize, like, pardon my language, but damn. Mm -hmm. Well, we knew, I think uh, uh, that Quincy and I knew pretty much from this start what we that we had had a tiger by the tail and uh that's all that's about all you can say about it it it's uh, it was a uh, a very unusual situation you know most sessions come to the end and everything and everybody's tired and they want to go home and not when we were doing Thriller. Wow. Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody. And we'd been up for days. Because uh, How long did it take to record the album uh, from beginning to end in entirety? Oh, I don't know. That's how much fun you're having. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my nights in New York. Like, What time do I get home? I don't know, man. Yeah. It was a good time, and, though. And does it matter? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Doesn't matter at all? No. That's I, one reason I brought B with to most of these sessions is because so she would see. Actually, this when I was recording Basie's band and Joe Williams, mm -hmm. you've heard of Joe. Uh, actually, I still have some master tapes in the, in the control room of those sessions. B, B's writing is perfect. And so she was copying lyrics for Joe. Wow. Yeah. And so I, obviously for... B, B Count Basie, oh, what a wonderful guy. Man, oh, man. Man, I want to know your Rolodex. <laughs> yeah. Your Rolodex is deep. And so uh, I, know, I know obviously for Michael, uh, the impact that Thriller had on his life. What was the after effect of Thriller on your life and your career? Oh, well, I got all sorts of phone calls, and actually, to, I'm I'm still working and 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 doing interviews and things, and all anybody wants to talk about is Michael. You know, so must have been a big deal. <laughs> I think so. What was the change in, you saw in Michael after Thriller? I don't think he changed. So did, did Michael always feel like no matter where he was in his life, when he was in the studio, he was always that 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid you met on the set of The Wiz? I think so, yeah. Wow. And his ability to concentrate and to... He'd stay up all night memorizing lyrics. And not half-ass, I mean memorizing. He, he could... Stand up to the microphone and record and not, not miss a, a note or a word. So there is something else about Michael that I should bring up. Do you notice with Michael Jackson how you, only one other guy that I know that was could have this, but how you always understand every word. Everywhere, Elvis Presley. Same thing. 
But with Michael, you can understand every word. Well, I want to say, uh, Bruce, you're a bad dude, man. <laughs> you, no, you, are, no, you, you're, no, a, you're, you're a bad dude. No, you're a bad dude. And and one thing I, I, I from doing this podcast that I've learned is that everyone deals with people on the same caliber of level of person and talent. And I think um, when I was talking to Blue, like last time we met up, it was for an interview. We're talking about how like the engineer has to be a cool dude. Like you bring the vibe to the session. Like you can't, yeah. it's like the bass player in the band. You can't be the diva uh, bass player. Like you have to have a, a energy because one, as an artist, uh, it's already a, a vulnerable feeling right. putting your your work out into the universe. Yeah. So let alone putting it on record. So yeah. you have to be comfortable yep. um, with that person. Yep. You know, is that is that is that what you think makes um, makes you what makes you a great engineer? I don't know. I do good work. And like, why? Why of all the? Because obviously, I, Michael was. I, I, first of all, I'm happy, and doing the best work makes me continually happy. Because uh, Michael, obviously, uh, very successful artist, and Michael, he could work with no, anyone, but yeah, he, he but, chose to work with you for. Yeah. The duration it, of his career, so, why is that? It's easy to say, but it's so hard to convey the importance of someone like Michael in how hard. I mean, he gave everything to the music. He memorized, never, I never recorded Michael where he read the lyric. He always had it. And that's it's not easy. You know what's also impressive too? I, I spoke to um, Seth Riggs, Michael's vocal coach. Right, Seth I, Riggs. Wow, yeah. I, so I, I called Seth out the blue. Really? Like I, I called, I called Seth, and uh, oh. like literally, with the the impressive thing about uh, everyone involved in the Thriller project is that when I call them, they're literally working. Yes. Uh, and I, I call Seth and all of a sudden, yeah, da, 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 da. oh, excuse me, one, one second, one second. Hi, hi, hello, hello. He's, like, yeah. he's loud. Loud. Very, very animated yeah. over the phone, but a great yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, but well, I think that's really impressive. Like, I think to Michael worked uh, until the day he he passed away. Yep. You're working. When I, when I gave you a call yeah. and we're meeting you in the studio, yeah, you know, we are. on a, on a rainy Saturday. Out of cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> See how late it gets. <laughs> but I think that's that's really really impressive, um, and I think a true testament to like not having a job, but your music is no. life. It's I've it's never, your air. I retired when I was fifteen. Yep, it's true. Wow. What would you say to Michael um, about the success uh -huh. uh, of Thriller? Like you've got to have a conversation today about with Michael. Yeah, like if, if I'm not if no, I'm not here, Mike's I, here in this seat, you, and we can talk about I, the makings of the album. I know what I tell Smelly. What'd you tell? I love you. Wow. Well, Bruce, hmm. it's such an honor to to be here. Uh, <laughs> it's my honor. You're the best. No. Is that it? That's it.
<laughs> it's great. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of MBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at MBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at Aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period.